Welcome to another episode of the No Plain Views podcast with your hosts, Brandon Mintz and Harris Eisenberg. And we are coming here recapping a hectic and entertaining week five in the NFL season after the New York teams once again double down on victories. The New York Giants win again. They move to four and one. The Jets as well. They move to three and two. And it seems like something Special could be brewing here in, in the New York area for a couple of on-the-rise New York teams that, that seem to be doing it in different ways. Uh, a couple conversations I've been having, it seems like the Giants have really been stabilized by some some really solid coaching, getting the most out of what might not be the, the most talented roster in the world, but they're playing hard and they're playing smart. And then you have a Jets team that seems to have a little bit more questions on the coaching side, but that is a roster loaded with young talent. And, and we're definitely getting into it the way the Jets rookies have really sort of taking this team by storm, but I think we got to start with the Giants here. The Giants moved to four and one. This is their best start since 2009, matching their win total from last season. So the Giants have already matched their win output from just a year ago. And I think that clearly speaks to this coaching staff. It's not like this roster has got this massive overhaul. If anything, they've had to overcome a lot. The receiving room is depleted. They've been without a couple of their best pass rushers for a few games here. And they've gone out there and 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 they've grinded out some wins. I think that's the fairest way to put it. They're not going out there, blowing teams out and and, and setting the league on fire. But they find a way to have more points than the opponent when that clock hits triple zeros. And that's all it's really about here. I mean, the, the coaching staff, I, I think that's really where I want to start here. Brian Dibble and Wink Martindale specifically. You're seeing just a different level of... Uh, I don't want to say strategy, but you're seeing things being deployed in games that we have not seen out of Giants coaches in recent years. We're seeing a more buttoned-up style of play. I mean, just when the when the Giants got into the red zone, I mean, it feels like in previous years the Giants would get into the red zone when, when they were lucky enough to get it in the red zone, and it was and it was just dead. Like they they had no creative ability to find the way to get the ball in the end zone. And you hear and you have this Giants team out here. They they run a double end around where Jones gets the Barkley and the Barkley gets the Daniel Bellinger. You're running straight up wildcat sets with Saquon Barkley. And, and I love to see the Giants going out of their way to really just maximize what they do have from an offensive standpoint. And and I think Wink Martindale has clearly been a rock of this defensive unit so far. They got a couple of clutch defensive stops there at the end, up seven, minute left in the game, Rodgers with the ball. And it would have been very easy for them for, the, for them to sort of fold over and, and have that game get tied up and then sort of deal with the ramifications of going to overtime. But they're able to buckle down on that third and fourth down, the ball never even crossed the line of scrimmage. They were able to get in Rodgers' face, bat down a couple balls. And how about this? Zero second-half points for the Packers. So the Giants there were able to go on a on an unanswered 17-point run in the second half and sort of take take that game by storm in London and, and take down the Green Bay Packers, who have sort of not spiraling, but they're having some issues with themselves. They're gonna they're actually taking on the New York Jets. We'll talk about that when we when we move on here. But a big statement win for the Giants, the coaching staff at the heart of it. What are your thoughts? Immediate thoughts. Yeah, two things. You're right. I mean, this coaching staff is the heart and soul of the New York Giants. There is not one player that you look at and say, oh, he is our heart and soul guy. This is all the coaching staff. And you saw it. Ryan Dable was fired up after that game in London. Wink Martindale was also well celebrated after that game. But you used the word creativity, and that's probably – the most common word that I hear about when I'm talking to people about the Giants. I mean, who would have thought that they would have run that double end around at the end of the half to Daniel Bellinger to get in the end zone and go into the half um, down seven at that point, I believe it was. I mean, that never happened before, you know? And, and Daniel Jones, granted, he did not throw a touchdown in this game. He also didn't throw a pick. And I like what Brian Dable said about him after the game, you know, we had discussed in previous Giants wins this year that, you know, oh, he's just a game manager right now. You know, he's not going over the top. But, you know, Brian Dable's putting him in a position to win football games. He is making plays, especially with his legs. I know he rushed for a lot again in this game. I believe it was, yeah, he ran 10 times for 37 yards. And another game-winning drive. And I'm sure you saw this on Twitter as well, but Daniel Jones this season 
I believe it's three game-winning drives in the fourth quarter. That's more than anybody in the league as of this moment. So say what you want about Daniel Jones. I mean, I think this coaching staff has definitely turned him around. It's He's been able to use a lot more creativity. And I think under the last regime, we all got on Daniel Jones because we all thought he was going to be this running back to use his legs. Um, and he didn't use his legs under Joe Judge. Now you're here um, under Dayball, and he's used his legs very well to get out of the pocket. I think he's escaped trouble a lot this year, much better than he has in years past. And yeah, it's just this coaching staff is allowing him to be creative. And, you know, we mentioned it against Tennessee, how he was yelled at for throwing that stupid interception. I, I think he's responded really well in all the mistakes he's made, because granted, he's made a few, but he is giving this Giants team a chance to win. And I think a lot of credit goes to Daniel Jones on this for for adapting to this coaching staff. I I, I do want to Daniel Jones. Uh, just in a second here, I'm going to get into him and, and Saquon. Really, I would say when when you said before that there's really no player that that you would associate with the heart of this team. I think Saquon has is definitely in that conversation, and and Danny right behind him. But when when you talked about they they were I think you said seven they were down ten at the half. But more importantly, they were down 17 to three at one point. Yeah. And for this team to not roll over, not fold like the house of cards that they have in previous seasons and come out there and and essentially play. I, I said they, they didn't give up any points the second half. It was actually just that safety that they did at the end of the game to to set up the, the free kick and kill some clock. But for them to actually go out there and and orchestrate such a, a dominant run. I mean, it's it's not like, of course, it was a neutral field and all, but that's not even in the confines of your home stadium. And to go out there, and, and really, I'm sure the, the message was relayed in, in halftime about what they're going to have to do, and, and they actually executed it. And I really can't give more credit to anyone on the field than, than Saquon and Danny Jones. I mean, these are two guys that we said coming into the year, this team's going to go as they go. And I personally did not think that was going to be very far. I have not been the biggest fan of Daniel Jones. I obviously acknowledge Saquon Barkley's talent, but he really hasn't been able to show it in these last couple of years. And they're really, really putting together some strong seasons here. That makes me think, do I have to adjust my future outlook of this Giants team? I think he has gotten the message across, Brian Dable, to Daniel Jones. To he, Daniel Jones is finally being allowed to do what he does best. And he's not being forced into making these silly boneheaded plays. He played a mistake-free game. He was able to use his legs, get the ball to it. Actually, it was nice that a wide receiver finally for the New York Giants stepped up for the first time all season. Darius Slayton, six catches on seven targets with 79 yards. I mean, it's it's not world-breaking stuff. They obviously don't have a, a game record, a Debo Samuel, a Devontae Adams, a Tyreek Hill. But considering what Danny Jones had to work with this year, it was nice to see Slayton actually step up and get open and, and, and catch the football. That was huge. But Jones is, is really settling down here. And I think that he needs to be praised for that. I think they need you need to start thinking here. You're at four wins. You're probably a couple wins away from thinking, I'm probably winning myself out of that lottery ticket high-end draft pick to take one of these highly touted college prospects. Do you start entering a situation here where you start negotiating a contract extension with Daniel Jones, but in a way that benefits both sides? A shorter-term deal, for, for reasonable money, where Daniel Jones gets a chance to further prove himself to the organization, while the Giants get to buy a year or two of their quarterback situation, where if worst case something it didn't work out, it would be a contract, it would be a, a salary figure where they could get out of it and not be in cap hell. I, I think that could be something here where both teams are able to work out something there. And and with Saquon again, he really is just continuing to put on one of the he's definitely having an elite season at the best of anyone in the league this year, him and Nick Chubb seem to be at the top of, of damage on the ground. And, and Saquon could be in franchise tag territory. I mean, if you would have told me that at this point, I'd be saying it's a legit possibility that Danny Jones and Saquon could be, could be the the headliners of the Giants team, not only in 2022, but moving forward, I would have been shocked because I really thought this was a sunken ship and they were sort of just going to play out the year with both of them. Saquon, why are we going to pay a running back? Daniel Jones, let's just move on with our early draft pick. But if they're going to keep winning these games, they might be onto something and there might be a future. Yes, definitely a conversation to be had with Daniel Jones, especially. But not only that, but you're getting into a point now where, you know, you may be able to make some big splashes at the trade deadline. I mean, that's also a possibility as well. I do think we're a little too early to discuss that at the moment, but it's only a couple wins away. And you mentioned Saquon. 
another great all-around game. I mean, 70 yards on the ground with 13 carries and then three receptions for 36. And you mentioned the depleted receiver core where everyone's going into the game on Sunday thinking that David Sills is going to be the number one target. Good on Darius Slayton to finally get open. But after Darius Slayton, Saquon was the second most targeted receiver of everybody. So it just goes to show the depleted roster that the Giants have. But, you know, I, I do think, again, this is another culture thing. Everyone's stepping up in this game. It's not just Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley. It's the little guy. It's it's the little guys that you don't think of doing big things. Like Bellinger getting in the end zone. Gary Brightwell getting in the end zone as, as well for a big score uh, at the beginning of the fourth quarter. I mean, that was huge. And Jones, you know, his numbers – you know, although no touchdown, no pick, he was solid. 21 for 27 and, and 217. I think it's great. The culture here has just changed. And, you know, looking at Twitter and all this other stuff, I mean, the Giants could easily be buyers at the deadline. And I mentioned culture a lot because, you know, I don't know if you saw this, but just, just looking at my feeds this afternoon, Landon Collins is back with the team. And I, I guess this is some news we could talk about for a little bit. You know, he makes some headlines that it was all Dave Gettleman for the reason why he didn't come back. So clearly, you know, this is a whole new culture shock that they got here. I think people like it. Landon Collins did work out in front of Dayball and Joe Shane, the GM, and they liked what they saw. So they signed him to the practice squad. And we'll see what happens there. But clearly there was a culture issue at the beginning. And now I think the culture of this Giants team is just at an all-time high. Yeah, I mean, let me hit on a couple of things you just mentioned. Landon Collins, I mean, I think you have to temper your expectations. This is not the Landon Collins that – that came out of Alabama and sort of made a real a real impact with this Giants team. He, we'll, we'll see. I think anything you get out of Landon Collins is good. It's it's good that he's, I guess, familiar with the organization. We'll, we'll see what they can get out of Landon Collins. Running the trade situation, I mean, the NFL is, out of all these sports, it's not like there's this flurry of moves toward the trade deadline. I mean, it is November 1st. I mean, if we're going to throw out hypotheticals of where the Giants could make an impact splash, I mean – the Carolina Panthers are at a spot where, it's, where they probably should be looking to to nuke this thing. I mean, they just fired their head coach, Matt Rule. Baker Mayfield's injured. Sam Darnold's injured. They are one and four and clearly are in a position where they should be all sales pointed towards that uh, that first overall pick and, and just resetting their future with C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young. But they have a couple of talented offensive guys that probably could thrive in, in other situations. And, and the name that I think applies to the Giants would be a D.J. Moore. I mean, he's a good young receiver that has, has always been solid, but has never really been able to take that next step. And maybe you get DJ Moore out of out of Carolina into the Giants. You use him as now the focal point of your offense. And and it's nice because he is he's on the younger side. This isn't a guy that you have to write a Kenny Galladay where you bring him on and he sort of just flakes out with age and injuries. I mean, DJ Moore, I think, is a guy that we're yet to see the best of. He's he's only 25 years old, and he's had flashes with Carolina, like I mentioned. But this is a guy that's put up three consecutive years of over a thousand receiving yards. He's his big flaw has been he really hasn't been able to get in the end zone. But I I really think that could be a guy if the Giants want to go the route of like really just trusting this thing and 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 bringing a big influx of talent to I guess to show the locker room like we're serious here. I think DJ Moore could be a very interesting potential acquisition. And I think there's a little bit of a tie to Steve Smith as well. as He's been around the Giants a little bit this year, too. I think that's also a major thing that that could draw DJ Moore here. And I think Steve Smith might be a big uh, advocate for trying to bring DJ Moore. But I agree. You know, Carolina's going to nuke whatever they can because <laughs> they fire Matt Rule. Both those quarterbacks are hurt. I mean, what a, what a lost year for them. While we're going into it, thinker, thinking Baker Mayfield might have the biggest chip on his shoulder uh, of, out, of, out of any quarterback in the league. Wow, did, did we miss the bill on Baker? And the <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. my goodness. We screwed up big time. Big time. But but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm just doing a little more digging here now that now that we're on the conversation. I mean, DJ Moore, he's under control for this year and three more years after it. So he already he got it an extension already. He he makes nine. He makes roughly 20 million next year. 15 roughly 16 million the year after and then 15 million the year after i mean that's totally reasonable for a guy that you'd hope would be your wide receiver one and is yet to really eclipse his ceiling you're, you're sort of looking for, for the for the anti-kenny galladay in this situation right i and i think it's a place for him to excel too but i also don't really think there's as much pressure as you may think by coming into new york because the expectations for this giants team was so low Right. So you bring them in here. You have all this control. You know, maybe it takes a while for him to get used to things, but the Giants are winning with this current roster right now. I do think adding a talent like DJ Moore can only make it better. 
and to give Daniel Jones more opportunities to throw the football. I think the game against Green Bay was really was one of the first times where Jones really had to throw the football more than he probably should have, but he did because you go back to the game against Chicago, the two quarterbacks, Tyrod and Daniel Jones, combined to throw just 16 times. So, you know, Jones had to throw the ball a little more last week against Green Bay, but you give DJ more. I mean, that is a legit weapon where he doesn't have to spread out all these passes to Richie James or Daniel Bellinger or hope and pray Darius Slayton's on. You know, this is a legit target now that the Giants have, you know, yeah. if, they, if they do get him. I think it's great. And I think that could be a little like like that could sort of be a little boat of confidence for Jones. Like we want to see what you could do with an actual tangible weapon on the outside. They've they've tried. They they did draft Kadarius Tony in the first round and they signed Kenny Galladay. It's not a lack of effort. I mean, obviously with the 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 Gettleman regime, it's like they they couldn't execute that plan. But this could be a, a, a signature early moment for the potential Joe Shane regime here to bring in a guy like like more again, like the NFL trade scene is is just so much more tamed than other sports. But if something's going to happen, I could see the fit there. And and Jones, the, the one thing that stuck out to me this week, they scored 27 points on five straight scoring drives to end the game. And in those drives, Jones was 20 for 24 with 231 yards and an additional 38 yards on the ground. So a, a guy in Jones who I feel is always, he, he's, he makes that fatal flaw. Everything that he does that's good all just just ends up in this one fatal play, whether it be in his rookie year with the fumbles or in previous years with just the bonehead interceptions, to see Jones with his back up against the wall, down 14 at one point, sort of play almost flawless football on five consecutive drives, all resulting in points. I think that is one of the biggest positives you could take out of this early Giants season because not only is it your guys that you fit that, that we're going to need to fit the bill in your quarterback and your star running back, Danny Jones and Saquon, but you actually now could see a path to some immediate success in the short term and potentially the long term. I think this this early giant season has went as as good as you could ask for, but they're about to run into a huge test here. They're about to host the Baltimore Ravens. And I think this will probably be the most legitimate early sign of what you have with the Giants. Not to take away the four and one, but there is obviously just just some chatter about this this not being a legit, a legit team here and and the wins being on 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 the easier side, I mean, it, it's tough to get a win in the NFL, but you 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 beat obviously a Carolina team that we've we've established is is not very good, and a Chicago Bears team that can't throw the football. You you, you take down Green Bay, that's that's a big one. You beat Tennessee, you 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 escape Tennessee on opening on opening week, that was big. But here we go, your house, Baltimore Ravens. This is a team that I love. This is a team that I think most people consider in the class of the AFC. And let's see what they could do now against an offense with a electrifying guy like Lamar. What is Wink able to deploy to keep him tame? How are they going to approach Mark Andrews? I think Rashad Bateman might be back for this game. So that's a deep, a big play throughout that the Giants are going to have to keep in mind here. If the Giants beat the Baltimore Ravens this week, things are uh, things are different. That would be, not that they aren't already, because like I said, I've went on and on about, about Jones and Barkley and the coaching staff, and that's all very impressive. But if the New York Giants move to 5-1 and take down the Baltimore Ravens, there will be an energy around this team like none before. It would be such a massive victory. And not that I expect it or they really even need it because they've earned themselves one here. Obviously, regardless, you don't want to get blown out. You want to hold your own here. But they take this one. Th- things are different at that point. I say, screw it. Why Why can't this team win the division? I, I'd have no more reason to believe. Obviously, the Philadelphia Eagles look great. The Cowboys and Cooper Rush are doing their thing. But if the Giants could win this week, and take down a premier team with tons of talent and a great, and they're also fantastically coached. I, I would then start thinking, okay, this Giants team's new, new expectation has to be the postseason, and I have no reason to believe they can't make a run at the division. They're for real if they win this game, and I'm putting that out there right there, not to put any pressure on them, but that's just the way it should be. If you can move to five and one by beating what many people think is the best team, at least in the AFC, with a depleted roster that the Giants have and no real stud receiver and a a quarterback who has done well, but has mostly been just a game manager. I mean, I think they're for real if they win this football game. Now the division's tight (laughs) because I mean, the Eagles are now six and oh Cooper rush has come out of left field to go five five and one. Oh yeah. Five and oh, excuse me. Um, Cooper rush, you know, has led this Cowboys team to something that nobody expected at, at, at four and one as well. So, 
You know, it's like two years ago where the, you know, out I'll, I'll use the Al Michael saying from Thursday, where the division two years ago was so bad that it was so good. I think this year it's so good that it's so good because look at the look at the top three teams of that division. It's great. Uh, seriously, it's the, the NFC least has became the NFC beast. Yeah. It and and the, the Cowboys are only gonna get better when they get Dak back, at least we think. And and we'll see. Big chance for the Giants here. Would be a massive, massive statement, but like the, the Packer win was a massive statement in my opinion. So uh, I think this is one that you just want to see him play him tight, see that you could hang with with one of the premier teams in the league. But it, it's it's good times rolling for the Giants, and it's good times rolling for the Jets. I mean, we're 20 minutes into this episode, and it's been hard for me to not dive into my Jets. And there, this is another team. I mean, it's it's hard to temper my excitement. This is your first division win since 2019. You are now in October over 500. And and my early wish of some meaningful football after Halloween looks like it's on great pace. So that would be awesome. But this Jets team went out and and they got a big time divisional win over the Miami Dolphins. You have to acknowledge that it was basically against their third string quarterback, Skyler Thompson. Of course, Tua goes out on Thursday night football a couple weeks ago, concussion protocol. He's still out. Teddy Bridgewater, similar. He goes out earlier in the game with head issues. I mean, you knew the Dolphins were not bringing him back in under any circumstances. Teddy could have done cartwheels in the locker room, and there's no way he was coming back onto that field after the debacle of a couple weeks ago. But whether it's Skylar Thompson, whether it's Dan Marino, I'm going to take it as this is a big win in division, something you haven't done in a couple years, and one that they they really needed to have to go over 500. And there's so many places I could look to here, and it's really it's the rookies that have made such a huge statement to start this game. And a lot of that in this game, particularly, was the ground game. The Jets rushed for five touchdowns, and at at the heart of this of this rushing attack, I mean, it's a guy. I said it a couple episodes ago. I said the Brees Hall breakout was coming. I shouted out all the fantasy owners, and Brees Hall is coming, and he has finally arrived this week against the Dolphins. One hundred and ninety-seven all-purpose yards and a touchdown. He got down to the one on two other occasions where they happened to just give the ball to Michael Carter. Who, who is definitely a great complimentary back, but from a fantasy perspective, makes me want to drill my head into the wall when I'm getting, when you basically get your, that, that's 12 points off the board there. It was great to see him get in eventually, but it seemed like when they got close there, they sort of just spelled him for Mike Carter, even though it was a lot of two RB sets. When they get within the five, I like that they have Hall and Carter on the field simultaneously. It makes you more unpredictable with two explosive guys in the backfield there, but Brees had his coming out party here. I mean, big explosive runs on the ground. He had that massive 80-yard catch where he sort of, it was a swing route. He found the the open lane down the sideline and just tumbled. He, and it's one of those things where what I love to see is not only he, he, he was open and he, and he was explosive getting on the field, but he first contact was made at the 20 and he was able to fight his way all the way down to the one. This one was one of those cases where at the 20, you start losing steam and the, and the defensive back chases you from behind and brings you down. He willed his way those extra 19 yards to get down to the one he worked at. He was he had a guy all over him, and he's, at one point, he was hobbling on one leg, extending that football to the pylon. I mean, it was it, it was great to see Brees do this. He is now queerly established himself as, I mean, by far the best rookie runner this year. And and it's and for what was supposed to be a pretty weak rookie running class, Damian Pierce has come on nicely for the Texans. Kenneth Walker III's about to get his chance with Rashad Penny going down for the year in Seattle. But Brees seems to be a totally another animal and a focal point of this of this Jets offense. Yeah, and you know, you mentioned the duo between him and Michael Carter. I think it's hard for defenses to try and focus on two running backs, especially when you get in the red zone like that. You know, you said for Brees, 97 of a touchdown. And I just love the way Brees Hall runs. I think he made a couple – I think it was on that 80-yard uh, pass, catch and run. I could be wrong, but he made a really nice move – to, to get around a defender and he just was full steam ahead. I, I forget which play it was. It might've been that one, but I mean, he's so smooth. He's, yeah, he is a confident young man when it comes to running with the football down the field. I mean, it was, and that was a joy to watch those highlights to be honest with you. I didn't get a chance to watch the full game, but I did watch the highlights. I mean, he is a fun watch and I think it's good for the jets. And also look like all their touchdowns came on the ground. Zach Wilson didn't throw a touchdown pass, but his numbers, respectable, 14 of 21 for 210 yards. I think you would probably analyze it a lot better than I could because I'm just looking at numbers here. But, you know, again, I think it's important for Zach Wilson to get this Jets team under his offensive um, part, portion of the season to 2-0. Uh, and now you're now you're about 500 for the first time in a while. I, I think the way I describe it is, is mistake-free football. He, he threw zero touchdowns, zero picks, like you mentioned. He 
did not force a critical error. And you know what? In a game where you're so dominant on the ground, where you have everything clicking with your running backs, and when you get in the red zone, they they run the they run the sweep to Braxton Barrios. Zach was able to run one in, obviously, in addition to the two touchdowns from Carter and the one from Hall. So all Zach got to do at that point is just play solid football, help them move the move the ball down the field when necessary. But when you have these huge trunk plays, I mean, at that point, all Zach has to do is just not make a mistake. And, and he and he did that successfully. This isn't a game where I'm gonna come out here clamoring how Zach's the future and he's he he's the guy that's gonna lead this team to a Super Bowl because it wasn't that type of game for him. But it was nice to see, even in a game where he didn't do much, it's because he didn't need to do much and he was able to go out there and play a game where he did not make the big time error. That's sort of what I'm looking for out of Zach. Let's limit those turnovers. And he did that. And and I got a touchdown, obviously, the defensive side of the ball. Another rookie here, Sauce Gardner, fourth overall pick this year. And he is, I mean, the, the Jets are entering territory here where they could have the offensive and defensive rookie of the year. With the early production of Brees Hall in addition to Garrett Wilson and now Sauce Gardner on the defensive end. I mean, this was, saw, I mean, it was the coming out party for both these guys. Sauce comes out off the edge in a corner blitz and annihilates Teddy B in the end zone right to start this game for a safety to get the Jets on the board. He has his first career pick. That was great to see. This game, a 34.2 passer rating allowed. Statistically, the quarterback would have been better just chucking the ball into the ground every play than what they did going up against Sauce. And he has the lowest completion percentage allowed of any rookie cornerback. Sauce is playing the part of big-time alpha, number one receiver, something the Jets have not had since Darrell Rivas. That is a lofty name to throw out there, but there's really no comparison in Jets history to, to what Sauce is doing. He looks confident. He has the you, you could tell he just has that, I mean, I don't want to say ball hawk, but he has that just innate ability to, to, to make the play. But taking Teddy Bridgewater down in the end zone to get those two points, jumping that route to get the pick. Sauce is... Is looking great, and and I feel super, super good about him anchoring a secondary that has been totally overhauled with him and DJ Reed, and you got to feel great about. There's so many names that I mean, like I'm gonna, I'm just gonna start rattling off stuff here because I don't want to really miss any of the guys that have have been so crucial to this this Jets start. I mean, you have Elijah Vera Tucker. He starts this game at right tackle for the first time in his career a week after making his first career start at left tackle. Earlier this year, he was a right guard after spending his rookie year as a left guard. This is a guy now that's moving all over the offensive line as you need. And I mean, the Jets have needed it with the amount they've they've lost starting offensive linemen. So so he's played a huge part. Carl Lawson, he seems to be getting back into his Cincinnati Bengals form after missing all of last year. Second in the NFL with QB hits, 14 of them. That's two behind Nick Bosa and two ahead of Micah Parsons. I mean, these are guys that we consider some of the best guys at attacking the QB in the league. And, and Lawson squeezed in there at second in the NFL and hitting the quarterback. That's absolutely massive. I mean, they're, they're just Quan Alexander, a guy that was not on this Jets team until until a couple weeks before the start of the season, is coming out and making electrifying hits, big plays. He's all over the field making tackles. I mean, it is just so many guys stepping up for this Jets team that you got to feel really good about what they're building here. I I mean, so many big things. You got the pass rush coming into its own. You got the offensive line. I mean, it's 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 going to be rough for the time being, but they're they're at least giving Zach the opportunity to to have some clean windows. The secondary stepped up. The linebacking core led by veterans CJ Mosley and Quan Alexander. You got to love what you're seeing here. I'm I'm feeling really good, and, and, and the Jets are now going to be able to go out and take on that Packer team that the Giants were able to just steal a victory from. So we'll see what they're what they're able to do. And and, and really, I think it's, it's some good times rolling here for the Jets. Keep the momentum going. Keep the young guys ripping. It's a perfect mix. And Sauce Gardner, he oozes with confidence. He is a fun watch. I mean, that's what we go to talk about. You know, this we talked about the Giants earlier. Yeah, Saquon's a fun watch, but the Giants haven't been a fun football team to watch in years. You go to the Jets, and I just love how just plucking all these individuals, you know, that they've drafted, I mean, this team's just really fun to watch. Sauce Gardner, now, we don't root for injuries, but his hit knocking Bridgewater out of the game, I mean, hey, now. That's a confident play to make. It's a big time play. Right? Like that, that, that's a confident play to make for a young kid, right? And, and like you said, he gets that first interception. And, you know, he's also back there with DJ Reed. So I think, you know, that 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 whole mix is really solid. But again, the Jets are also injured on the offensive line. And you said it, some guys stepping up in roles that they haven't played before. And I do think, you know, we talk about coaching a lot with both of these teams. And now, as much as we have said Robert Sala might be a clown on this podcast, I do think 
he's got a firm grip on what's going on in the room. To be honest with you, I just don't, you know, sometimes it just doesn't translate to on the field and it gets to his head a little bit because he's a young, you know, at the end of the day, he's a young NFL head coach. But I do think he's got a grasp on this team because I think this is a tight football club and they're exciting to watch. And I think obviously the talent's there, but it also stems from coaching in a way. I think Salah's doing a solid job with what he's got on his roster. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm not going <laughs> to... Robert Sawa, I think it's clear, is not having a Dable-type impact on this Jets team, but he he's he's been credible. I mean, like you said, I think he does have a good understanding of, of the locker room and his guys, and sometimes, like we saw earlier in the year with the media, that just doesn't come across to the public and the fan base as as clearly. But I think Sal is a huge part of why this defense is clicking. I mean, he is a defensive guy. He was a defensive coordinator for the 49ers. And I think he definitely has to get some credit of what's going on here with this defense stepping up in some big ways. And I think what I was so what I, I I've said so many times why I was in love with Robert Sala was just that that tangible energy. Just you could see the way he rallies. He he's a leader of men. Like he's a guy that could bring together a room. And I think there was one play in this game that I think if you had to pick one play to define this Jets team. This season, it was it was in this Dolphins game. Carl Wilson gets to the quarterback and strips Teddy Bridgewater. Quinnen Williams picks up the football and on this return, at, lowers the shoulder and sends Tyreek Hill into the air. And I think that was so symbolic for so many reasons that this Jets team is different. They're not going to be pushed over. They're going to push you over. And this is, I think it was so fitting that it was Tyreek Hill that he sent into orbit because of the comments that Tyreek Hill made. The Jets went on an all-out chase to bring Tyreek Hill to New York this offseason. It, it was no secret that the Jets were pursuing that big-time wide receiver one. They went after Amari Cooper. They went after Calvin Ridley. They they went after Debo Samuel. And Ty, But I think Tyreek Hill was clearly the most aggressive pursuit of any of those guys, and we heard that it was down to the Jets and the Dolphins. And obviously, Tyreek chose the Miami Dolphin. And not only that, he made public comments about why he didn't want to come to the Jets almost laughing it off as it was this some sort of comical joke that he would potentially decide to to come to New York and be a Jet. And for Quinton Williams to drop that shoulder and be like, you didn't want to be a Jet? Well, now th- this is what you're going to have to deal with because we're in your division and we're here to and we're here to play. I, I just loved seeing that. I loved seeing on Twitter, guys lower, guys were coming out there backing Quinton on Twitter, reposting the video. You, you, some, I, I forgot who tweeted, but someone said Quinton gets that ball in his hands and all of a sudden he's acting differently. Like, like I think it was just sort of the perfect scenario where where you pick up a loose football, you got one of your one of your big playmakers and Quinton with it. And, oh, Tyreek Hill standing in front of me. This is for our team, and this is for what you said about our team. How about eat this, Tyreek? I absolutely love that. And, and I think that's just an early memorable moment of what could be a special Jets season. Yeah, the guys knew. I, I think they clearly knew that that he was in town. If a statement needed to be made, go make that statement. And they did, and good for the Jets. You know, I think that's something that maybe not the coaches stress to the team, but you know, these athletes are human beings. They're on Twitter. They see what's going on. They know that the Jets fans are pissed off of what Tyreek Hill has said, and I bet you the Jets fans are pissed off because they probably like playing for the Jets more than they like playing for the Dolphins, especially at this rate. So, you know, good for Quinton Williams, good for the Jets to get that done against the guy who made those public comments. And you know what? Jets Packers on Sunday in Green Bay. Challenge? Is it a winnable game? Possibly. You know, it depends. Again, flawless football. The Jets played flawless football against the Dolphins, and and we'll see if that momentum takes it over to Sunday. I mean, you can't. I can't say it's not a winnable game. I mean, Green Bay clearly is not playing the part of the NFC powerhouse that they've been the last couple of years. Obviously, this is a different challenge for the Jets than it was for the Giants because they have to go to Lambeau, similar to Pittsburgh. This is a place that's always going to be a tough place to play. But they're coming up with momentum. I mean, the Jets dropped 40 points this week. Like, I mean, I don't know when the last time they did that was. But it couldn't have been pretty recent, too recently, because the Jets dropping a forty bomb. That I just like, I like that they didn't take their foot off the gas. Keep putting it in the end zone. Keep showing off what this offense could do and all the weapons they have and all the and all the ways that they get that ball downfield. I like them going. And there was points in this game when I got a little nervous. The Dolphins, even with a thirteen quarterback, there, there was a couple points there. I think it was that drive to end the half, where the Dolphins were able to get in the end zone and and they and they cut it to just five. And I'm like. Wow, that's it's it's pretty disappointing here that the Jets, after what should have been a dominant first half, it was a close game. They come out of the half and the Dolphins put up a field goal. It's a two point game with with over eight minutes to go in the third quarter. And I'm like, this 
you're one if, – if Zach Wilson makes a boneheaded play here and the Dolphins get that ball right back in the end zone, this could totally come off the rails. But the exact opposite happened. The Jets continue to be the fourth-quarter team that they have been. They score 21 points in the fourth, and they absolutely t- take the breaks off this game. And, and that was something that I really was happy to see. You deal with a little bit of adversity. You come out with flying colors at the other side of it, and 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 you pretty much beat the breaks off of a division rival in a case where you should. It, it, there's not many cases in recent Jets season where you say the Jets – should absolutely dominate this team. And this was one of them, and, and they actually did it. So that was huge. Upcoming week against the Packers, I mean, I, I don't know what the weather's like, but assuming that it's going to be a cold, one, one of those real just chilly afternoons in, in Green Bay, I think it's another prime opportunity for the run game here. You, you're coming off the, be- the best run game that you've had this year. Brees with the coming out party. Let's keep riding it. Keep this going. I, I think that's going to be their best way because the, the Packers, if there's one thing that they have going right now, they, they, they got a tough defense. Jair Alexander and company and that's secondary. We'll see how how he lines up against Garrett Wilson and Elijah Moore, who have sort of I think they've probably been the one they've been the group that have probably they've taken a little step back here with, with Zach returning. Neither of them have really had massive games. But that's because just at, at this point, Joe, like Zach hasn't been swinging it around like, like Joe Flacco was throwing it 50 times a game. So eventually when Zach is a little more in a rhythm and the Jets need a game where the game plan is more around like chucking the football. We'll see Garrett and Eli and Elijah really come more into that role. But for now, I think the Jets got to stick to what got them here in last week, and that's running the football. No, Lambo's a hard place to play. I think, you know, anybody knows that. I was actually lucky enough to be there once last year. And yeah, I just know it's a hard place to play. But you, you do with what you know, you run the football, and who knows, maybe you have a uh, a shocker like the Giants did this past week. But, you know, we love our New York teams right now. It's back-to-back weeks where both of them get wins. It's a fun time in New York City to be a football fan. But let's go to some of the other matchups that occurred this last week. And, you know, one where I keep reflecting on these past episodes, and it swings all the way back to episode one, where I could just kick myself and just say how dumb I am for thinking that the Las Vegas Raiders were just going to be a menace in the NFL this year. Because you go to Monday night, and the Raiders are playing the Chiefs. Granted, it's at Arrowhead, but the Raiders build up this really good lead. And then Patrick Mahomes... And Travis Kelsey steal the show. I mean, it was a brilliant offensive display between those two. And I'm just thinking to myself, the entire fourth quarter as the game's winding down, and I'm sitting here watching, I'm just like, man, this is a Derek Carr way to lose. A lot of penalties, nothing on him, and some debatable pass interference. I mean, and, and an intentional grounding. I believe there was two of them. I mean, it is just, that is the optimal way for Derek Carr to lose a football game right there. And it came against a, probably one of the best passer catcher duos in the entire league. Uh, I mean, it's just like, it, it's such a reflection of what these two teams have been in recent memory. Like the, the, the Raiders are just not able to get over the hump and they find tough ways to lose. Whereas the Kansas city chiefs always end up on the other side of that coin. They always just find a way to cut, get the victory. I mean, Patrick Mahomes is, he's the best QB in the league. I mean, he, he throws four touchdowns, almost 300 yards, zero picks. He has his, his buddy Travis, who in this game, I mean, a measly 25 receiving yards, but four touchdowns. Every time they got they got within the five, they were a shovel pass, a, a week out. They always found a way to get the ball in his hands when they needed it most. And and the Chiefs here do what they do best when they have you down. That's just the that's the last time that you should be that you should feel good about with the Kansas City Chiefs is when you have them, when you think you have them, because you don't. Because Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid, there's no weed that's safe. They're obviously, I mean, it's hard. Them and Buffalo are really the the elite of the elite in the NFL this year. And and, and they prove why once again, they're four and one for, I, I don't even know why I considered that they might not win the division this year. I mean, the, the the Chargers have this great team and they bring in all these, these defensive stars. The Raiders bring in Devontae Adams and Chandler Jones. The Broncos bring in Russell Wilson. And what's it lead back to? The Chiefs dominating like usual. I'm, I'm really done looking past the Chiefs. They are the kings of that division and for the most part, the conference until otherwise, so really nothing notable here besides the Chiefs ju- just doing what they do to the Raiders, and that's continuously kicking them down when the Raiders think they have a chance. And and for the Raiders, you have your what are supposed to be two of your biggest playmakers. Excuse me. Devontae Adams goes for 124 yards and two touchdowns, and Josh Jacobs for nearly 200 all-purpose yards and a touchdown, and that's still that's still not enough. So I, I don't know where you look if you're the Raiders at this point. You're one and four. <laughs> You're digging yourself into a massive hole, both in the division, but I mean, at this point, you're you're you got to be looking at that wild card situation. 
and and it's 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 must win territory here. I think at, at one and five, you're really at the point of no return. So the the Raiders got to step it up here. I mean, for for a team that came in with so many expectations, they had a nice little year last year. They make some big moves in the offseason, and now all of a sudden their their season, it, it looks like it's going to hinge on this. At least this week, they host the Raiders. I meant the Texans, that they're the Raiders. They host the Texans. So There's a perfect spot to bounce back at home against one of the worst teams in the league. There's really zero excuses to not win this one. They should do it handedly to at least try to gain some momentum. And how about Devontae Adams at the end of the game? A little crime scene on the field here with a little misdemeanor pushing the cameraman. I mean, what, what is going on? I think, I think that was a little... Um, We'll just get into the little joke of it for a second. I think that was a little overhandled by the camera guy, to be honest with you. I, I think, you know, Devontae Adams got frustrated at me for shoving a camera in his face and, and he throws me to the side. I'm like, you know what? I screwed up because I stuck a camera in his face. You know, I, I, I thought that was a little over the line for him to actually get charged with a little misdemeanor there, but that's just the frustration of the Raiders to be honest with you. I mean, that's the, for anyone that's played sports, I mean, obviously not to the level of this, but sometimes there's just the heat of the moment when you're an athlete, you come off a crushing loss. I mean, Devontae's involved there right at the end where he, 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 he barely misses having a big play on the side on, they call him out of bounds and then following up him and Hunter Renfro collide, breaking up what, yeah. was, what was their last ditch effort on fourth down to potentially, get himself some field goal range and he's going out the field and there's a cameraman in the tunnel. I mean, I don't know if he was going directly up to Devante. This wasn't like a, a sideline reporter. This was sort of like a, it seemed like a game photographer type situation. He just happened to be in Devante's path and he shoved him down. I mean, it's not a good, good look from Devante. You shouldn't be doing that. And I'm not going to lie. I, I don't, I mean, this camera reporters, this cameraman's going to go get his bag. I mean, there's only so many opportunities you have where, where, where you have a prominent figure like Devontae Adams shoving you in a situation where he shouldn't be. So he's going to do what he's got to do for himself. And, and, and there's hopefully a lesson to be learned, but there, there's definitely some other bigger stories than we could go to rather than rambling on about the, the cameraman incident. And even though it's, it's been taken over the news recently, I mean, there's, there's some big other matchups out here this week, some statements made by some other teams. I mean, the Dallas Cowboys, they still have not lost in the Cooper rush era. And, and I'm not going to, start like like I know you love Cooper Rush and all and it's and, and it's a it's it's a funny joke that we do here but he's obviously not the heartbeat of what's going on here. I mean he threw zero touchdowns and a hundred yards but again he 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 threw no picks so not turning the ball over is big when you have some limitations but this Cowboys defense is obviously for real. I mean Micah Parsons, Trayvon Diggs anchoring that defense up front and in the secondary that defense is going to go a long ways for the Cowboys as long as it's intact. And it makes you think what the upside of this team is when they get Dak Prescott back. Because if you have Dak, who's a guy that unlike unlike Rush reasonably, he can extend the field and he will be able to get the most out of guys like C.D. Lamb. And now you have Michael Gallup back. I mean, Dalton Schultz has essentially went missing this year in, in the absence. I know Schultz has dealt with, with an injury and Prescott as well. He had a good connection with. So I'm interested to see what these talented skill position players could do when they get Dak back and see and. I think Dallas is going to make a seat like they obviously with the Giants. Like, I don't feel as serious about them making a division run. They'll, they'll, they'll have a chance to wild card. I think the Cowboys could have a serious outside shot of taking down the Eagles. Yeah, definitely possible. And look, none of this was supposed to happen without Dak Prescott, right? And I love, we know, I haven't said it yet on the podcast to, uh, on this episode, but we love riding the bandwagon with Cooper Rush. But at the end of the day, the Cowboys did just enough to beat the defending Super Bowl champs. Uh, on Sunday, and it was really highlighted on the ground. It was Tony Pollard ran for that big 57-yard touchdown in the second quarter, and that's where it kind of led to. But, yeah, again, Cooper Rush has gotten the Cowboys some wins here. I just think it's a fun thing to look at where you got a little controversy, and now you talk about the division. Well, how about this for, I believe, it's the Sunday night game? Cowboys-Eagles, right? There you at, go. At, at the link. Let's see it. Right? Let's see it, boys. I mean, that is, yeah, Sunday, 820, at the link. That is prime time where my eyes are going to be this weekend in football outside of our New York teams for sure. But if there is any matchup to look at going forward, it is to see who the real competitors are in that NFC East. Because even though the Giants are not playing a divisional team, they are playing one of the best teams in football. And the top two teams arguably in the NFC East are squaring off against each other in prime time. That is a, this is a perfect week to decide who is for real. Well, not who is for real, but who really is, I guess you could say the cream of the crop and who's going to rise to the occasion in that division. 
No, it's. A, I mean, I absolutely can't wait for that game. I mean, you have the Cowboys. They sacked the quarterback five times this week. The Eagles are essentially built. They they, they play in the trenches on offense. They like running the ball, keep Hurts protected, allow him to roll out. So it's sort of going to be strength versus strength here. And, and we'll see who comes out on top. I mean, the, the Eagles, they escaped with a narrow win over the Cardinals this week. So the, I, I know the Cardinals, they they missed their opportunity in the game to potentially kick a field goal to, to, to at least give them a chance to tie. And 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 potentially play for overtime, but at the end of the day, the Eagles get another victory, and this is such a great opportunity. Like you said, exactly what we're going to see. Who is going to set themselves up best to make a legit run at this division title? And this week is going to have a lot to say about it between the Giants, the Eagles, and the Cowboys. And it's not really the it's it seemed like last week and and going into this week, there's a theme, some huge division matchups that are going to set teams up for the potential path. I mean, you have on Sunday night football the Ravens and the Bengals play a close game. The Ravens just squeeze it out. I mean, did you have any doubt that Justin Tucker was going to ice that game at the end there and send him the victory? I mean, he is as good as it gets that we've, that we've ever seen. I mean, the, just that look, in, the, the shrug and look into the camera said it all. Like, like really, you thought there was a chance. I wasn't going to nail this. And that sends the Ravens for a big division win against probably the, the, the next most threat to them. So that's absolutely, that, that was a huge one. And I just think these division games are really where you see you learn the most because these are the teams that have scouted you. They know your personnel better than anyone else. And and you're going to have to play them multiple times. So they're going to take a lot of information out of these games. So you love to see the adjustments. I mean, not divisional game here, but Chargers Browns, two teams that are probably playoff contenders, wild card type teams. The Chargers nearly escape. I mean, I love seeing these teams that on the fringes that like. Like one of the Chargers or Browns won't make the playoffs. Like, like, like one of and and you look back to a game like this, and that could be a, a pivotal turning point in their seasons. I mean, obviously the Chargers, for the most part, they like to play through the air with a Justin Herbert red attack. Even though Austin Eckler has been absolutely bonkers these last couple of weeks, he he's really rebounded. And, and and the Browns, we know what they do on the ground: Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt. So that that's always good to see. And I love seeing when you have these teams in the same tier sort of face off, like in the case of. The, that the Bills and the Chiefs are going to do this week. That is as good as it gets. Yeah, I think Bills and Chiefs, I think, is another marquee matchup. This is going to be a really good week. I mean, we're going to get into the picks in a moment, obviously. But I think just from a fan standpoint, watching this week is going to be fun. I think there's a lot of storylines. Um, Matt Rule also out in Carolina, I think, is a big storyline, too, because everybody hyped up the Panthers to be something special this year. We would and, never do that. Yeah, you know, silly us, right? But – you know, it's a lot to look forward to this week. You know, I just can't. I guess we can touch on this real quick before we get into our picks. But the just the ineptitude and just the disgrace that the Carolina Panthers have been this year is just dreadful to the eye for people who actually believed that Baker Mayfield could be something. It's I get emotional talking about it because we sound so awful. No, it's not a good look. I mean, the Panthers in this like just endless cycle of bringing in quarterbacks that fail to produce. And it's unfortunate for them because who the Matt Corral, who they just drafted this year was their third stringer and he's injured. It would, I mean, at least something you would have taken out of this disaster is like, at least you could have seen what you had with Corral and with him being out, they're going to have to roll with PJ Walker this week at the Rams who, you know, are itching to get a huge, like, like they need their coming out party. They have been very, very underwhelming. And it, and I, to be honest, like I, it really is now come out, and shown why I felt really so good about the 49ers because they've seemed to really have hit their stride here. The the 49ers now back settled in under Jimmy Garoppolo have shown why it doesn't matter that Jimmy Garoppolo has his limitations. It's everything that they put around him that is why they could be so, so good. They obviously absolutely they they route the Panthers 37 to 15, and now they get a good spot to get another big win over a lackluster Falcons team. So the 49ers looking to get rolling. The pan the Rams need to get rolling they, they've just been so uninspiring and regardless of how good Cooper Cup is and, and how remarkable his stat line is it's not translating to team success right now so I think that Rams Panthers game it's like one team that's both two teams that are trending down but one that desperately needs to get it turned around and not being the Rams at home you'd like to think they could come out here and take take care of business on the Panthers fourth string quarterback and a new head coach and the line for that is it says why the Rams should win this football game if you're just watching football for Penny. I mean, <laughs> it would be embarrassing if the defending champs go out and lose on their home field as well. So, you know, it's something to see. You know, 
lost year for Carolina, there's no turning this around. There really isn't. It's sad. It stinks. We feel bad. But at the end of the day, you know, we make our mistakes. We've made a lot of mistakes uh, coming out of week one. We're here in week six. And we'll keep making them. Where we, made, where we did make a lot of mistakes in the last episode was our three-point picks. Because combined out of all of us, only one of them hit. And that was on your side. So we're going to try and rebound here as we get into our three-point picks for this week. Yeah, I mean, a pick segment that did not go the way you want to see a pick segment go. Like Harris said, my two-point pick was the only connect of the week. And it, it was one of those where we, I sort of – one of my picks towed the line. The Vikings win by seven in a seven-and-a-half-point spread against the Bears. I, I thought they were going to sort of have more of a dominating outcome at home against the Bears team that has such low-octane offense. And then I, I went – I went with the Steelers at plus 14 for my for my one-point pick. Obviously, the Buffalo Bills throttle them from the first Gabe Davis touchdown catch a minute into the game through the end. I mean, they legitimately never stop pouring it on. And, and you know what? That's why it was my one-point pick. I thought maybe Kenny Pickett's first start would would give them a little bit of juice, but that was probably a little bit of a stretch going at one of the best teams in the league on the road. I mean, Buffalo just totally took it to them, and and, and that was on me. But, yeah, it, it was it was a pretty – Pretty down week for us. I went and I looked this week. Nothing screaming obvious. I did double up on a team that I took last week. I'm back on the Vikings. So we're going to see what they could do there. I mean, I'll start with my three-point pick. And with that, I'm going with the Chargers minus four and a half hosting the Denver Broncos. Two AFC West teams that we've detailed this division so much already this season. And I just think for me, like, I, I've really, I could, I'm going to have to eat my losses on the Denver Broncos. I had them as my seventh seed, as my last playoff team. And that team does not have it going for them. They, for an offense that already was just so horrifying to watch, they lose Javante for the year and Javante Williams, the the young explosive running back. And, and it comes out that Russell Wilson seemed to have been playing through an injury. But for me that like, I'm not saying it's not true, but at, at, for for me to not hear about this at all, and then after these just total stinkers they put up, to not hear about it, it makes me question how severe this injury is. But the the Broncos do not look good. The Chargers are coming off of a nice, nice hard-fought victory against, like I said, a Browns team that they seem to be in a similar tier in. And and that sort of proved to me that the Chargers could find a way, even when they, they, st- they don't have Keenan Allen. And Justin Herbert, I, I would doubt, is still fully recovered from that rib issue from a couple weeks ago. That if they're able to pull pull one out like that, and the Broncos can't even take advantage of a, another just disappointing Colts team. I, I think the Chargers at home should be able to, to to cover that spread. I think that's one where where you're sort of looking at if the Chargers get off to an early lead, what ten nothing? Why do I why do I think that the Broncos of all teams are going to be able to rep, put some points together and keep this thing close? So I'm going with the Chargers minus four and a half for my three point pick. Here is where I double down on on last week. I I barely missed that Vikings pick at my three point pick. And they're in another spot this week here I like. They're they're on the road at Miami who are going to have to roll with their third-string quarterback, Skylar Thompson. And it's another case of the Vikings when they're going right. We saw Dalvin Cook get going last week. Justin Jefferson is obviously as good as they get. So Kirk Cousins, 1 o'clock game on a Sunday. No worries about this, this primetime disaster that he runs into. I, I mean, if the, the Vikings can't win by four points or more against the Vikings team on their third-string QB, they have bigger issues on their hands. So I'm rolling Vikings to cover three and a half there. And then last but not least, they've they've earned this pick. One point pick. Jets plus seven. I mean, the the Jets are they got some good things going for them. The Packers don't. I definitely have some concerns that it's it's a good and a bad time to play a team like Green Bay. It's good because they're not playing good football. And obviously there's there's things wrong, but it's bad because when you have a team led by Aaron Rodgers, we we've seen how sometimes they could flip the script on a dime and all of a sudden they come out, all systems go. So we'll see. I think seven's a good number there where I like them to be able to not lose by a touchdown or more. So that's my one-point pick. I wanted to incorporate in a New York team this week. And that Jets line, I just thought, you know what? Let's let's start giving the Jets the credit they deserve and and at least acknowledge that Green Bay might not be the powerhouse that we originally assumed they would be. I like it. I think the Jets do deserve that pick. Um, we do have one common pick, um, but I'll go over them in order first. Uh, my three-point pick, you know, I wasn't a big fan of Trey Lance at the beginning of the year, and he went down, and my guy Jimmy G, playing for all that money, is rolling. So I'm going Niners with my three-point pick at Atlanta 
at minus five and a half. And now my two-point pick is where we are the same on one. Um, the Chargers at minus four and a half over Denver. I am just not, you know, I I, I went a little far, I think, last week in, in criticizing uh, Nathaniel Hackett, so I'll keep it pretty light here. The Broncos are just an abysmal football organization. Chargers <laughs> at minus four and a half. And number one, you know, I could have flipped the script if the Jaguars didn't lose to the Texans last week. So I'm going Colts at minus one and a half with my one point pick over Jacksonville. And before I criticize Nathaniel Hackett even more, I'm going to end my talking right now. I mean, you could not get me. I, I might have to put a boycott on the Colts in anything that I care about, whether that be fantasy, whether that be my bets, my survivor picks, my, my no plan picks here on the podcast, the Colts, just have made my blood boil so much that I, I I can't tolerate investing any more of my potential happiness in them. Oh, it's that, risky to do this. It, it's it's it is that 49ers pick. I like a lot. They were heavily on my radar here. I mean, like I mentioned, the 49ers seem to really have things going here. And but one interesting nugget on that, the Falcons have covered the spread only team to do so in every single game so far this season. So and they are at home. The, the Falcons obviously don't have the the talent that a 49ers do, but I think a team that's found the knack to be able to cover the spread this year, I, I'm going to put a little bit of faith in them to at least at least keep it close against the 49ers. We've seen the 49ers throw up, throw up a dud already this year. So it's a team I was considering. I like the pick, but just seeing that they're 5-0 and against the spread this year, it, it threw me off the scent a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I... Uh... I agree with everything you said right there. It, it does throw you off, to be honest with you. This was a hard week to pick. Um, you know, there's a lot of good games, as we mentioned earlier on in the podcast. So, again, like last week, I went pretty conservative. I consider this week to be more of a a conservative um, conservative picks here. As, you know, we go to battle now. You know, I took a fat offer last week. You got on the board, I think, with, with two points. So, I believe I'm up, what is it, 14 to 10? So no. Let me check. It's I. It's definitely a little tighter than that. Give me one second. Let me pull up the at No Plan Views Twitter feed where you could track all of our No Plan picks every week. It is four, okay. It's fourteen eleven. Fourteen eleven. Sorry. Um. Yeah. So it's tight now, and you know, I just think you know, for betting, happy betting this is going to be a good week to watch football, though. So I, I would enjoy this week more than ever. And for you, new you New York fans out there, especially you Giants fans. And that are listening to this, I'm going to put the message out right now. Show up. Show up to MetLife. I think that place is rocked all year when the Giants have been home. I mean, they need the fans more this game than they have all year long. So this is the time. I, I think it's a fun ride to be fans of both teams. I like how MetLife has ro- MetLife rocked on Sunday when the Jets were in town. So, you know, it's becoming a really good spot to watch the football. Sure. Yeah. Now, for those that have been chronicling the tales of Brandon's survivor pool after, like I said, the Indianapolis Colts did me did me dirty like that week one. We took another win this week. I I figured this was a week where after the Eagles went down 14 nothing early and scared me, even though they pulled it out, I wanted a no-brainer. I wanted to not have to sweat for a second of this game. So I went with the Buffalo Bills. So that at least helped outweigh the my one-point pick totally flopping in my face. I thought we'd meet somewhere in that middle ground where the Steelers put up a respectable performance and the Bills come out with it. The The Bills absolutely annihilated them, but you know what? I can't complain because I moved one step closer in my survivor pool. This week, it's dicey. We went through the games. There, there's nothing really that I'm looking at. I Right now, I'm leaning Rams. And there, like, there's some red flags there. I mean, I, I get the Rams got to be as, as motivated as anyone to write the ship, but... The pan- something is so sus to me about the Panthers here that you bring in PJ Walker, you get a change of pace at the quarterback position, change of pace ahead coach. They're going with Steve Wilkes, actually. He who was only had a one-year run in Arizona, then got the boot right away there when they went to the Kingsbury regime. You have a couple guys that, that have sort of been looked past coming together here against the Rams team that hasn't had it going. I mean, in theory, these rosters are not even in the same stratosphere. So so it, sh- it should be a Rams victory, but like, it, there's there's a couple things that worry me. I just worry about those teams with the, especially a quarterback and coaching change that could have a negative effect 
where you're sort of scrambling and trying to change the game plan, but that also can have a positive effect. What will change up in the locker room, hearing a different voice? You don't know, but like I, I think it's safe to say it'd be pretty shocking if the Panthers went into L.A. and took down the Rams, but just wanted to keep you guys updated on on, on where I am with that. I mean, it's 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 stressful here. It's it's week six. The the players are dwindling. It's it's now or never for me. Yeah, you know, those always give me a hard time when you know you get a new coach and you're like, well, you know, a new voice in the room is going to energize the team. But you look at that roster. You're going with your fourth string quarterback. You're going into Los Angeles. That's tough. I I, I would I would. I would put my money on that if I were you to just slam the Rams there. And if they don't, we can go back on in episode seven and argue about it again. Make more great content. <laughs> no, if the Rams will this one, Harris, this is going to look like my my Colts rant will look like nothing. Oh, it'll be must listen. But you know what? There, there's actually one more thing I wanted to talk about before we go. A fun little topic here. Roughing the passer was a massive storyline in football this week. And I can see by your reaction the way you're going to go with it. But you have a Colts, you have a, excuse me, a Buccaneers-Falcons game that ends up being closer than than we thought it was going to be. And the Falcons have what should have been a massive stop on the Buccaneers and then get the ball back there and have a chance to potentially make a game-winning drive. And the Grady Jarrett sack of Tom Brady gets called roughing the passer and essentially ices the game for the Buccaneers. I mean, what what was that? I mean, what are you, you can't tackle these quarterbacks anymore. And then it comes right back. And the last thing that the league probably wanted to see and the fans want to see is then again in, uh, I believe, Monday Night Football, another roughing the passer where where Chris Jones, I I mean, I guess, lands his full body weight on the quarterback. I mean, give me a break. If if you're a sport where you expect these 250-pound guys to run full steam and make contact with someone, yeah, they're not going to be able to successfully tackle them and then not have their body weight go on them. Like, like how do you expect the physics to work here? I mean, I'll, I'll, you go first. I mean, it's it's crazy. If, if we are arguing about roughing on the passer, put flags on their waist and play flag football. Seriously, this it's absurd. What are we doing here? The whole point, the whole excitement of the NFL. I mean, you know, everyone making these big hits and these big plays. What, are you scared that Tom Brady's going to break a bone because he's 45 years old and doesn't want to get tackled? He wants to get tackled. That's why he's getting divorced. Come on. It's ridiculous. I it's mean, ruining games. It's, ruining it's changing games. outcomes. It's ruining games. It's ruining It's ruining the sport. It's just the landscape. You know, we've talked about the landscape of sports in a lot of other leagues. And I think, you know, a few years ago, it came down to the question, what is a catch? Right? Not too long ago. I think five, six years ago, everyone had that question. Now it's like, what is roughing the passer? Because apparently every official has a different outlook on what it is. And if if there's going to be arguments about what it is or how bad these calls are, we'll play two touch. We'll, we'll play. We'll play one touch. Put the flags on them. Go back to eighth grade where you have your reversible giants pennies and and just play two touch flag football. This is absurd. What is going on here? Are, are you not supposed to sack the quarterback? What happens if he releases the ball? If he does the throw like Derek Carr did the other night, you're not supposed to put your full body weight on him. No, just just flake him over. Be a feather and, and just push him. Just push him over with one hand. Is that not roughing the passer? What are we doing? It's hard to watch. I, I cringe every time it happens because it's so ridiculous in a sport that, that is such a contact-driven sport that, like, I get it. You want to keep your star. Like, these are the most marketable players and the most talented players in the game. You don't want guys like Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert. I mean, in the case of this week, it was, it was Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady that, oh, no, no, Chris Jones. It was Derek Carr. It was Derek yeah. Carr. And... and <clears throat> And Tom Brady, like, like, you don't want your faces of organizations and faces of the league going down to injuries in this case. But, like, then again, like, like seriously, let's play tackle football and the quarterback has those three yellow flags hanging from their waist like we did when we were in middle school. I mean, it's literally out of control here. It, it's it's taking away from, from the integrity of the product at this point because it's it seriously and, – and two games that ended up being one possession finishes, you wonder how different things could be if – I mean, obviously the Chiefs were able to get away with it here, but the Falcons weren't as fortunate. They they lost their opportunity to have the ball back there. It's absolutely insane. It's it's ruining it's it's really ruining the product. And I just before we come on this podcast, I saw the NFL came out and they they essentially doubled down on it that they are going to do whatever is necessary to to maintain the safety of the quarterbacks. But it feels like it's coming at a pretty big price of the the watchability of the product. And 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 you just hate to see when something as silly as this, where they're going so overboard, is clearly having an impact on the final score. And I'll say this. Now, obviously, we want to keep our players safe. I get it. But if, and this is probably the wrong take, but 
if this has anything to do lately with the whole Tua situation of him getting hurt, you're an official. You're not a doctor. The doctor screwed that one up. Okay? Not the defensive player who decided to tackle him and him hitting his head on the turf. That is not the official's fault. That is doctor's fault for putting him out there. So if you want to oblige with the NFL in terms of safety because of that, be better. No rules. I mean, that is that, that's just I'll go with that. It's the wrong take, I know, but there's definitely some sort of sympathy in there for the reasons why these officials are calling it the way they are. I, I, they're, I they're following the rules. So. I don't yeah. blame the officials. Those are the rules put in place by the league. Like I just like I, it's just so over the top. Like I get it. If the quarterbacks clearly release the ball and you come in and level a quarterback, throw the flag. It, even if he has the ball and you just helmet to helmet, throw the flag. But when you're quote unquote what putting your full body weight on guys, sorry that physics doesn't allow. Sorry that gravity exists. First off. And, and sorry that these guys are trying to make plays to, to help their teams win. You know what? Here's an idea. Go back to the training camp look. Let's put the quarterbacks in red pennies so we could designate that they're the quarterback and they can't be touched. And why not go the extra step? Put those crazy pads that they put on that they wear on their helmets in the preseason that make them look like mushrooms. Put that extra level of security on the quarterback's head. So let's go with the crazy looking helmet and the red penny for the quarterbacks and we may, and maybe a flag as well. Let's go the whole extra way. I don't no quarterback should be touched. It, it's it's tackle football for every other player on the field but the quarterback. It's it it seriously got to the point where you could actually say those things without the joking matter behind it because that seems to be that the that it's getting closer and closer to that every single year with these continuous penalties. It's crazy. It's harder to watch and it's kind of integrity of the NFL is like slightly going away here. It's disappointing. You know, we, we've talked about, it, like I said, in all sports, the integrity of all sports has gone down lately because of rule changes and stuff. But you just hope this isn't the case with the NFL. You know, knowing the way sports work, another one of them will pop up over the weekend just to like keep hammering on the issue that is and the, and, and, I, and on social media and just listening to talk television and radio these last couple of days. It's, uh, people were talking about it, but the, but what? We're going to stop watching? Of course not. The NFL has endured so much worse than this that they, they know no matter what they, they do regarding this, we'll keep watching. But we'll also keep complaining. So on, on on that note, I think we should wrap up this episode of the No Plain Views podcast. Make sure to rate and review us. Five stars. Leave a, leave a review. Tell us how much you love hearing us go on and on about Cooper Rush's brilliance or our, or our pick segment. We want to hear it. We appreciate you guys listening. We're on Spotify and we're on Apple Podcasts. Please give us a follow at No Plain Views on Twitter. That is where you can keep up with our recordings. We'll, we'll let you know when our episodes are out, what we're talking about. Keep in contact with our No Plain Picks. We post before every single week and after every single week our picks and the results. Keep in score with our with our little competition we got going on. Here. We love doing this. We're putting out more original content, tweeting about the teams in live time, post game, immediate reactions, our thoughts, and we're gonna keep expanding. I know basketball starts this week. Next episode, our official NBA preview. We're going to be talking Knicks outlooks, Nets outlooks, full NBA landscape, our finals predictions, MVP predictions, and more. Be there. Next episode is going to be action-packed. It's going to definitely run a little longer. We're going to have to break down this big week six in the NFL season. We're going to have to preview the NBA season. A lot of stuff coming up here. I know hockey just got underway. I know that's not going to be a big thing we discuss here, but we're definitely going to at least monitor the, the New York hockey scene. So a lot coming on here. It's it's a great month for sports, and we, we definitely want to keep you guys engaged and listening. So please listen to our stuff. Give us follows where you can. And that is all for this episode of No Plain Views. I am Brandon Mintz. And I am Harris Eisenberg, and thank you for listening to episode six. And you know what? I say it with Cooper Rush a lot, and I'll say it with the No Plain Views podcast. Join the bandwagon, will you?